This is Christopher Benincasa for Jersey Arts, the podcast. Wait in the water, wait in the water, children, wait in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. Wise one, if you ever find yourself somewhere lost and surrounded by enemies who won't let you speak in your own language, who destroy your statues and instruments, who ban your um boom ba boom, you're in trouble. They ban your um boom ba boom, you're in deep, deep trouble. Huh, probably take you several hundred years to get out. At the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, there's a railroad made of human bones, black ivory, black ivory. That's poet Amiri Baraka. I spoke with him earlier this month on his birthday, which also happened to be the kickoff date of this year's Geraldine R. Dodge Poetry Festival, where he was a featured poet. Baraka has been reading his poetry at the Dodge Festival and many, many other venues for years. But this year, the festival came to him, or rather, to his hometown, Newark, New Jersey. At the age of 76, with a history of activism and controversy coupled with a vast catalog of artistic output and many awards to show for it, being the first poet to hit the stage at the biggest poetry event in the country just several blocks from his home was a pretty nice birthday present. We met at NJN's studio in Newark, right across the street from the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, where the poetry festival was gearing up. So tell me about Newark and the history of poetry in this city. Newark is, uh, you know, I always say we are, we are Newark, the brick city, the third oldest city in the United States. And we've always been a leader in the arts. I mean, you can go back to Stephen Crane. Then there are other writers like Philip Roth and people like that to come out of this town. So, and New Jersey generally, uh, for some well, maybe not so strange reason, but you associate people like Walt Whitman and William Carlos Williams with New Jersey. And, and it's an interesting thing that every one of them has been in some controversy for some reason. You know, they, Whitman, of course, got fired from his federal job for leaves of grass, and then, the, you know, Williams was uh, denied fellowships and stuff like that because he was supposed to be too far to the left. You know, Ginsburg and Howe, myself with this, somebody blew up America. So it's always some kind of controversy that hangs around Newark poets. How did you become a poet? When I was a little boy, little boy, uh, you know how little is. I was born in 1934. So when Roosevelt was the president in the 40s, I used to write him notes about how to win the war, you know. But I didn't know how, how to get it to them, so I would stuff them in the radio. <laughs> One of those great big radios. And then by the time I was in the seventh grade, I started a newspaper. But it only had 10 copies, because I had to write it out by hand, you know, so, and pass it out. But I, I knew then that I had something to say. That, and that's what it is. You have something to say, and you have to find a way to say it. Uh, by the time I was in college, then I started writing poems, you know. Uh, when I went to the Air Force, after I got kicked out of college, I went to the Air Force. I got kicked out of the Air Force, too. But 
I knew I was a poet. I was writing all the time. I would send it out, it would come back almost immediately, you know. But by that time, uh, you know, in my early 20s, I knew I wanted to be a writer, you know, and uh, I was stationed down there in Puerto Rico, and I was writing all the time and sending it out, you know, because you got that kind of isolation. That's like jail, you know. I would, I would spend my time reading about 10, 12 hours a day. You know, you must not have anything to do. You read. Uh, then I became the night librarian at uh, Ramey Air Force Base. So uh, me and a group of guys would go in there every night, drink up some rum and some vodka, and, and study. I mean, it was really interesting. I mean, the kind of study I call it, where we talk back and forth about subjects, not just one person running it, but where you discuss it and try to understand what it is. So by that time, you know, I thought I could, I, I thought I would be a poet, you know, and that's about the time Ginsburg got into the trouble about how, at 55, I was in the Air Force, and I was reading about it in the brand new Village Voice. That's when Mayor Koch was a liberal, <laughs> and Norman Mailer was on the board, you know. Uh, so. I became, I got to be sure I was a poet. I remember reading this poem in the, in the New Yorker magazine and saying, I can never do that. You know, I don't even know what they're talking about, bird baths and trains to Connecticut and stuff like that. You know, looking out my window, I see Chinese restaurant, <laughs> you know. So I said then to myself, I'm gonna have to write the poetry I can write. You know, I, I got to write what I know about. I don't know about that stuff he's writing about. And I think that was a great revelation to me that I understood that I did not have to be that kind of poet, you know. So the whole generation of people, whether it was the Beats or the, the, the Black Mountain Poets or, or, or the Black Arts Movement or the New York Poets or the San Francisco Poets, all of them were were united around the fact of opposing academic poetry that tried to make us write like Englishmen, you know. And that was, that was what united us, you see. But that ball was rolled up and has been rolled back down, so we have, have to have another rebellion soon. <laughs> you are New Jersey's second and possibly last poet laureate. That title was taken away from you and the state in 2003. Governor McGreevy abolished the position after you read a poem called Somebody Blew Up America, coincidentally at a previous Dodge Poetry Festival. I read that poem to over a thousand people at the Dodge. And then I signed the books for an hour. My wife and I sat up there and signed books. The last people who came in, well-dressed people, a woman came up to me, she says, that was a hateful poem. I said, what part? <laughs> That's a Joe Pesci line. <laughs> no. But I wanted to know, what, what are you talking about? But then the next day, the governor's office called and said, you know, you need to apologize and resign, which I thought was bizarre. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. But the irony about that is that the governor had to apologize and resign a year later <laughs> for something entirely different, you know? Uh, gee, and I always liked McGreevy's. Too bad he got caught up in all of that stuff. But uh, you have to, you know, it's, that's the job, like they say, that's the gig, you know, you wanted to do that, you know, so you gotta accept whatever it is, you know. But this is not the first time I had controversy about a poem back in 1960, 
seven, a poem called Black People that I published. I had gotten locked up during the rebellion. And uh, the judge, when he sentenced me to three years, no parole, said this poem is a prescription for criminal anarchy. And I wanted to know, I said, Judge, you think they came in my house and read the poem before they set fire to those stores? <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of crazy stuff, you know. But, right. but I mean, it shows you that poetry is not just inert, even though people think that. that if, if, the right, if it's in the right context, then it becomes inflammatory, they think, you know. Not many works of art get that distinction, like Stravinsky starting a riot or Robert Maplethorpe or Chris Ophelia. What's it like for the artist? when this sort of thing happens to his art. It must be a weird feeling. Or do you see controversy over art as a good thing? I want to write about what's going on in the world. When people ask me, why are you political? I say, should I be less political than Frederick Douglass, or Du Bois, or Zora Neale Hurston, or Baldwin, you know, or Langston Hughes? No, the Afro-American literary tradition is political, and for obvious reasons. If you're a slave, you're gonna like complain, <laughs> you know, and and it, and that's what the the whole political basis of the Afro-American poetry is: the fact that the world is not enough, the way it is. It's not enough. It has to be better than this. It has to be different from this, you know. So, are there going to be any new poems premiering tonight that we need to look out for? There's a poem for, for Newark that I wrote called In Town that I probably will do. That'll probably be the first one I do because it, it talks about this town and why it's like it is. We'll end with that poem, which was read before an audience at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center's Prudential Hall just a few hours after this interview. This is a poem for this city that I was born and raised in. Newark, the brick city, the third oldest city in the country. We've always excelled in the arts. This is called In Town. Do, 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 Something in the way of things. Something that will quit and won't start. Something you know but can't stand, can't know, but get along with. Like death riding on top of the car, peering through the windshield for his cue. Something entirely fictitious and true that creeps across your path, hallooing your evil ways like they were yourself, passing yourself, not smiling. The dead guy you saw me talking to is your boss. I tried to put a spell on him, but his spirit is illiterate. I know things you know and nothing you don't know, except I saw something in the way of things, something grinning at me, and I wanted to know, was it funny? Was it so funny it followed me down the street, greeting everybody like the good humor man? And they got to taste the good humor, but no ice cream. It was like that. Me talking across people into the houses and not seeing the beings crowding around me with ice picks. You could see them, but they look like important Negroes on the way to your funeral. They look like important jigaboos on the way to your auction. They let them chant the numbers and use an ivory pointer to count your teeth. 
And then they step and fetch it. How we laughed, knowing it was Sunday school images given flesh and jiggling with the ice pick high over his head, make you laugh anyway. I can see something in the way of ourselves. That's why I say the things I do, you know it. But it's something else to you. Like that job this morning when you got there, it was quiet and the machines were yearning soft behind you, yearning for their nigga to come and give up his life. Standing there being dissed and broke and troubled. My mistake is I kept saying that was proof God didn't exist. You told me, no, it was proof that the devil do. But still, it's like I see something. I hear things. I saw words in the white boy's lying rags say you was going to die poor and frustrated. That them dreams walk with you cross town is going to die from overwork. That the garbage on the street is telling you you ain't shit and you almost believe it. Broken, mistaken all the time. You know some of the words, but they ain't the right ones. Your cable back on, but ain't nothing on it you can see. But I see something in the way of things, something make us stumble, something get us drunk from noise and addicted to sadness. I see something and feel something stalking us like an ugly thing floating at our back, calling us names. You see it and hear it too, but you say it got a right to exist just like you. And if God made it, but then we got to argue and the light gonna come down around us even though we remember where the bank is, we remember the Negro squinting at us through the cage. You've seen what I see too. A smile that ain't a smile, the teeth flying against our necks. You see something too, but can't call us name. Ain't it too bad, y'all said? Ain't it too bad? Such a nice boy, always kind to his mother. Always say good morning to everybody on his way to work. But that last time before he got locked up and hurt real bad, I seen him walking toward his house and he wasn't smiling and he didn't even say hello, but I knew he'd seen something. Something in the way of things. And it worked on him like a doing will and he kept marching faster and faster away from us and never even muttered a word. Then... The next day he was gone. You want to know what I'm talking about? Saying I seen something, something in the way of things. And how the boy's face looked that day just before they took him away. There is in that face. And remember now, remember all them other faces. All the many places you've seen him or the sister with his child wandering up the street. Remember what you've seen in your own mirror. And didn't for a second recognize the face. Your own face. Straining to get out from behind the glass. Open your mouth like he was going to say something. Close your eyes and remember what you saw and what it made you feel like. Now, don't you see something else? Something cold and ugly, not invisible, but blended with the shadow crisscrossing the old man squatting by the drugstore at the corner with his head resting uneasily on his folded arms. And the boy that smiled 
and the girl he went with, and in my eyes to a waving craziness, splitting them into the jet stream of a blackbird, his ass on fire, or the solemn notness of where we go to know we're going to be happy. I seen something, and you seen it too. You just can't call his name. For more information about the life and work of Amiri Baraka, check out amiribaraka.com. For more information about the Geraldine R. Dodge Poetry Festival, visit dodgepoetry.org. And for more information about the arts in New Jersey, visit jerseyarts.com. This is Christopher Benincasa for Jersey Arts, the podcast. Jersey Arts, the podcast is a production of State of the Arts, NJN's weekly art show. Watch this week's show, which features a story all about this year's Dodge Poetry Festival, on NJN Public Television this Thursday at 8 p.m. or online anytime at njn.net. The New Jersey State Council on the Arts is proud to co-produce State of the Arts. The New Jersey State Council on the Arts, encouraging excellence in the arts since 1966. Additional support was provided by the Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation, supporting cultural, educational, and environmental initiatives that make our world more livable.